Yeah, I think the the best advice I can give anyone is do what I did kind of by accident, which is start small, you know, make it um, make it something that is like less scary and seems more achievable by like saying, you know, I'm just going to do this for a month or for a summer or, you know, I'm just going to like try this out. And I think it really sort of helps yourself and other people um, to kind of ease into it. Um, so that's, you know, one thing that's worked really well for me. Um, and then other than that, I'd honestly just say like, you know, go do it and like back yourself and trust, you know, yourself. Like at the end of the day, only we know what will make us happy and, and different things make different people happy. Like the happiest, perfect life for people around you is not that for you. And so I'd say, you know, just really back yourself and trust your own instincts. This is Aotearoa Adventures with your host, Abigail Hanna, the podcast for everything you need to know to travel New Zealand. I talk to photographers, van lifers, moms, students, and everyday Kiwis to hear their inspiring stories from past adventures and to share helpful tips and tricks for your travels. Whether you're visiting Aotearoa for the first time and live on the road, or you work a nine to five and have lived in New Zealand your whole life, you're guaranteed to learn something to plan your next getaway and get a new excitement to explore more of this beautiful country I call home. So grab your hiking boots, hop in the car, and turn up the volume. If you've ever cooked a meal from scratch in the bush, you'd know how challenging it is. Backcountry Cuisine have solved this problem with freeze-dried meals that are lightweight, delicious, nutritious, and so easy to prepare. With breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert options, as well as vegetarian, vegan-friendly, and gluten-free meals, they have something for every adventurer. Backcountry Cuisine are my go-to for yummy meals on the trail, and I also keep a stash in the van, just in case. For quick and easy meals for all your outdoor adventures, use the code ABIGAIL for free shipping off your next order. That's A-B-I-G-A-I-L for free shipping off your next Backcountry Cuisine delivery. Head to the link in the description to find out more. Kia ora. welcome to the Aotearoa Adventures podcast. Today I'm sitting down to have a chat with Lisa. Would you like to introduce yourself? Of course. And hey, Abigail, thanks so much for having me. Really excited to be here. Um, so I'm Lisa. I grew up in Germany, but moved to New Zealand almost 17 years ago now. So New Zealand's very much home. Um, and um, that very much the sort of typical, you know, went to uni, got my degree, started working. Um, but then about six years ago now, I decided that I wanted to change my, my lifestyle and just sort of, you know, figure out um, what you can do with your life if you don't want to follow that traditional, you know, career and, and family focused life. And so I ended up um, quitting my job. I bought a camper van and then I spent um, the next four and a half years traveling around New Zealand um, and just, you know, really getting to explore this amazing country. Um, and for the last year, so about a year ago now, I sold the camper van. And for the last year, I've been a full-time house sitter. So I'm still kind of traveling around New Zealand and get to live in different parts, but in a different way, um, which is really cool. And yeah, I've just been loving um, getting to, you know, see the country and explore all these, all these different parts. And it's been really awesome. That's really cool. Tell me a little bit about your childhood back in Germany. Did you travel much as a family there? Did you move around a lot or what was the sort of, what what, what did that all look like? Yeah, I'd say like a very sort of traditional and like safe and, and nice sort of upbringing. Like we, um, we lived in the same house from when I was three in like a small town in Northwest Germany where, you know, we would like 
bike to school on our own and play on the streets and in the forest and um so really sort of you know very like normal and and yeah really great upbringing um we did travel a little bit like my mom was really into traveling and kind of encouraged that in us I think from a young age but like nothing really sort of extraordinary. I think my dad's kind of the opposite. So if, it, <laughs> if my dad had been more on board with the travel, we probably would have traveled a lot more. Yeah. Um, but as it was, it was sort of more, um, yeah, local, like within Europe and, you know, a few um, few trips um, a bit further afield. But we definitely sort of had that, like my mom loved travel. And so I think, you know, all like I've got two siblings and all three of us started to traveling when you know we were 16 17 doing like student exchange and we all lived overseas um for you know stints of time and and so I think that's like sort of my mom's you know spirit coming through yeah and what made you decide to move to New Zealand um one of the many many people who came for a year and never left again so um (laughs) (laughs) I came while I was still at university and it was supposed to be just a year study abroad you know as you do and I just loved New Zealand and um, I just at first I sort of extended it over and over again. It's like oh, I'll do another semester and then another mm-hmm. year and then I finished uni here and it's like oh, I might as well like start working here and then yeah. I kind of you know kept going on like that and and at some point it was just New Zealand was home and um, and I, I don't want to live anywhere else. I think it's the best place in the world so. Yeah absolutely. Well I came here seven years ago now with the intent to stay for three get my degree and get out of here but here we still are <laughs> exactly yeah um, lots of stories it's like a that. little bit different because it, it is my passport country and I was born here but um grew up overseas so yeah it was like weird coming home to New Zealand but I'd, I'd never really lived here yeah tell me um a little bit about your job and while you were still working did you get much time to travel around that what were you doing for work how did that all sort of work yeah so I, I work in marketing um and I um you know did that sort of straight out of uni got a, a junior marketing job and then worked my way up and um was a marketing manager for a company and then um oh, I think like probably about eight years ago now. So before I started traveling, probably two or three years before I started traveling, I um, started to work for myself. So rather than being the marketing manager for one company, um, I started to work more as a freelance um, virtual marketing manager, different clients. Um, But for the first few years, it was still kind of very much like in Auckland, in the office with clients, you know, at times it was full time with one client or, you know, two or three clients each having like two or three days a week. Um, but it was still sort of very much that like in, in Auckland, in the office. Um, yeah, yeah. That's quite interesting because I feel like the whole world has changed since COVID. Like that that probably yeah. wouldn't be the nature of that kind of work today. Oh, absolutely. And, and I was actually super lucky because um, so when I, um, back in 2017, so quite a while before COVID, when I decided to, and buy my camper and start start traveling. Um, the company, so at the time I was full-time with one client. So I was essentially an employee, but as a as a contractor. And when I told them what I wanted to do, um, they were really awesome and they're super supportive. And and they said, look, why don't you work like 10, 15 hours a week remotely for us while you're traveling? That's awesome. Um, which, you know, I mean, it was like way ahead of the, the you know, COVID, everyone started doing it. But so really, really lucky that I was given that opportunity and, and then from there, I managed to get some other clients um, also remote. And so now I'm, I'm like a f- basically fully remote 
um, virtual marketing That's manager awesome. with you know a few different yeah. clients and yeah it's really awesome very very lucky with the work situation for sure yeah well tell me a little bit about that that um, decision to hop in a van and travel around do you know it was going to be four years when you set off no, not at all. So, so basically, I'll, I'll try to give you the short version of a long story. But <laughs> so I was 33 at the time. And of course, all my friends were getting married and having kids and sort of on that mm-hmm. path in life. Um, and I thought it was beautiful. You know, it's really great to see them all so happy and, and sort of get what they wanted. But somehow it didn't feel right for me. And, and I just mm. didn't really, you know, and, and at the time it was very much a not yet. Like I was like, I'm not ready yet for, you know, marriage and kids and all that stuff. And I wasn't sure if I ever would be. Um, but I also didn't want to have that like completely career focused life. Like I didn't want to spend the next, you know, 30 plus years just working. Um, and so I really started to ask myself, like, what else is there? What do you do if you don't want to? you know, have that traditional life. And, um, and then I have no idea where the idea to travel and live in a camper van came from. It was all like, it was just there one day. And (laughs) and I was like, oh, sweet, that's what I'm going to do. And so, and originally it was, um, well, officially the story at the time, and and I say the story, like the story to others, but also the story to myself was that I was going to do this for a summer. So I said, you know, I'm going to like take a summer off from work and I'm going to travel in my camper van. I sort of had it in, in the back of my mind that it could be more than that. But by saying it's just for a summer, it was sort of really, it didn't seem as risky. You know, it just seemed like something, oh, I'm just going to do this. And if I don't like it, you know, at the end of summer, I'm just going to come back to Auckland um, and, and return to that life. So it kind of really de-risked it for myself um, and I think made it a bit easier for everyone else as well around me to sort of get on board <laughs> with the idea. And um, so that's how it started. Yeah, <laughs> it is actually really interesting, um, that concept that when you do make these big changes in your life, it's actually the people around you that make those decisions the hardest. Even if you like 100% commit to something, you're like, this is what I want to do. It takes a lot of explaining for other people to sort of wrap their heads around what exactly is going on. Um, How did you sort of find that whole process? Yeah, yeah. I think I was very lucky in a few ways. Like I think first of all, um, because my family is so far away, they sort of just don't have Mm. that very active role in my life. You know, they're all still in Germany Mm. or in Europe. um, And they're just generally not a like overly sort of involved or opinionated family yeah so I didn't have a lot of pressure from that end um they were actually like they loved it um I think and then friends were sort of um yeah I, I think everyone just I think because I said it was just for a summer everyone was just like oh yeah you know um sweet ass like that sounds like a fun thing to do for a summer um, and then I think everyone just saw how much I loved it and and how how you know how well it worked for me um so I don't think anyone was really surprised when I kept going but but yeah I was very lucky I had very little really sort of you know people pushing back or challenging me on it um yeah I think I'm also sort of someone who's you know quite um I guess strong and um and and I think I sort of have this aura that like people don't sort of easily you know (laughs) challenge me on a lot of I think I just sort of you know I'm someone who sort of does you know what she wants to do and people kind of know that so that's really awesome (laughs) so after the summer how did you know that you were just gonna stay and how long did it sort of continue for 
Yeah, so I honestly, I kind of just kept going. And I think the, f- the first, so summer turned into autumn. Um, and then this sort of question was about, oh, what about winter? Because, you know, obviously it's like one thing to love living and traveling in a van when it's like summer and warm and, and long days. You have a very different story in winter. Um, and then I discovered house sitting. And so that first winter, um, I house sat, you know, for two and a half, I think almost three months. Um, which was perfect and so then I was like oh you know this is great like I can do that over winter and sort of you know escape the worst of the the weather and the cold yeah yeah yeah. Um, and I think that's when it sort of really kind of became this oh I can do this for a while and um, and alongside that it was just an amazing life you know just um, exploring the country um, and, and traveling but also like the realizing how little I need to be happy and to to have this awesome life you know was just a really liberating and freeing kind of experience it sort of made me realize hey I'm not I don't have to work 40 hours a week for the rest of my life to be able to afford the kind of life that I want and that makes me happy and so that was just really changed my perspective on a lot of things and um and it's a big part of why I kept going for so long because yeah it's just such an incredible way to live and and you live so cheaply that you know I was actually able to get ahead financially over those years, even though I wasn't working full time, but because I wasn't paying rent or a mortgage, you know, it's sort of, yeah, um, worked out really well for me. And I think that's, that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize when you, when they think about van life or travel full time, you assume that this travel full time is going to be as expensive as your two week holiday at a resort in Fiji which it absolutely isn't the case, right? Um, and it's something that me and my husband talk about all the time. Like, Auckland rent is just so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you we're commuting to work. We both drive to work. So at the end of the week, you've probably spent as much on fuel commuting as you would, you know, driving from one destination to the other, like full-time on the road. Um, so it it really... Like, it's really cool to hear your perspective that it was actually a good decision financially because I feel like a lot of people have that impression or that sort of, that they think it it's a bad idea financially. So it's really cool to hear your, your lived experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, a, I think first of all, like I do have to sort of be, you know, real about the fact that I'm very lucky with my work situation and that I work in a in a role where you know I earn a pretty good hourly rate um, and I can do my job from anywhere and so you know someone who's sort of on minimum wage would have a much harder time um you know to to do what I did um um, and I think you have to, you know, um, I think something everyone who's like spent a, a longer period of time traveling in a camper van will tell you this, you have to be prepared for like repairs and things breaking, you know, That's these so vans true. seem to like always have something <laughs> wrong with them. So there is that. But but yeah, I mean, if you compare it to like rents in Auckland, you know, and, and commuting in Auckland. Um, and, and also I think, um, it'll be interesting to, to hear what you think about this, but I often find like when I'm back in Auckland, I get back, pulled back into this like consumerism behavior. And I all of a sudden find myself spending money on things I don't actually need. Um, but because you're in that world and you're like bombarded by all these messages all the time, you know, I end up spending a lot more. Whereas if I'm like out exploring in a beautiful part of the world, then, you know, there's just nothing to spend money on and I don't need to buy anything to be happy and and get that sort of kick. So Yeah, 
I think the other thing for me is that when when we're back in Auckland, we're working and it's that it just really takes it out of you when you're just going 100% like all the time and there's not much space for, I don't know, just just being. And when you're sort of at the end of your line, then you start to spend more money on like takeouts and let's quickly pop to, I don't know, the laundromat instead of using the washing machine. And it's just all these things that just add up for the convenience um, rather than you have more time on the road and you just cook that meal in the van rather than you know going out and I think yeah it's those social things as well when you're around people all the time and people want to go out so it definitely all adds up definitely yeah no that's super interesting um so tell me about New Zealand I guess you've been probably around the whole country are there any any regions that you've sort of missed or have you been everywhere um I've been in all the regions and sort of all the major areas but you know what it's actually really funny because I sort of feel like I've been sometimes I feel like I've been everywhere and then I feel like I've been nowhere which is not totally not true but there's still like so many you know side routes and track you know so many like little gravel roads down to beaches or lakes or you know um that I I haven't been to so I could totally like keep traveling probably for another like four years um without running out of places to see um but yeah I've definitely I've been to all the major um parts I've you know done a, a few loops around and um especially the sort of last few years I've traveled quite slowly so actually you know spent time in in those areas um yeah do you have any, maybe some of those more secret spots that sort of jump out to you as some of your favorites? Uh, good question. Um, I think there is, you know, there's definitely still a few sort of um, secret spots, like one that, you know, I sort of like didn't even really know existed um, is like when you, you know, Golden Bay, so everyone goes to Golden Bay and sort of the East Coast up there, you know, Abel Tasman and then Takaka and the coast and Fairwell Spit. Um, but there's actually a really cool West Coast up there. So you can cut through, um, drive by this like massive estuary for ages. And then um, you're on the on the West Coast up there. And it is so amazing and just so off the beaten track. Um, so I, I really love that. So that was a bit of a, you know, um, yeah, didn't even know really it existed until I met someone yeah. up there who told me about yeah. it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to check this out. Um, and there is a few of those spots, you know, you, you drive along and you just see a sign for like so-and-so mm. beach. It's like, oh, you know, I've never heard of that beach. Um, yeah. yeah. And you just, you follow the signs and you see where you end up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, even though like New Zealand's definitely, you know, quite, you know, developed and touristy these days, but there's definitely still those like off the beaten track spots. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Fun fact about that that estuary up it's near Collingwood, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and then I'm thinking of that the right yeah, place. And then yeah. from Collingwood. Um I loved that spot so much that I had a property on my trade me like watch list for half a year. And I was like, Oh, it's still for sale. Like, can we move to the middle of nowhere up in Collingwood? Uh, but it's so pretty. Yeah, it's so cool up there. Yeah, I love it. I was um yeah. there and I had my paddleboard, my stand up paddleboard with me and so I was like Teleporting on that estuary and to all the bays and yeah it was just incredible so oh that would be such a dream yeah um and you've also told me that the east cape was one of your highlights when you were traveling around tell me a little bit more about that 
Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, people always ask me, oh, what's your favorite part of New Zealand? And that's sort of, you know, I don't have one, you know, it's, it's just too hard, but that's definitely one that always comes to mind. Um, it was my first big adventure because when I first got the van, um, the East Cape was like the, the one big part of the North Island I'd never been to before. Um, I mean, it was lots of, you know, parts and like I hadn't explored in detail, but that was like the only sort of region I'd never been to. And so that was like very high up on the list. And I think that's the case for a lot of people because you do Northland, you do the Coromandel, you do the Waikato, you can do sort of Central and South, but a lot of people do forget about the East Cape. So I'm sure you're not alone in that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that was that first summer um, was my first visit. I've been back twice since, but um, the first visit was that first summer and I just loved it it was um I wrote a blog post about it afterwards and I titled it New Zealand's unpolished gem and that's kind of how it felt you know it was like a bit more sort of rough and rugged than other parts of the country definitely less touristy you know it felt like a little bit more real and like I would imagine a lot of other parts of New Zealand might have been like that you know 20 30 40 years ago um it's obviously like beautiful, you know, like just the landscape and, and the scenery up there and um and the people like I really I really appreciated that the people were real, you know, it wasn't um sometimes I feel like when you're traveling, especially in kind of touristy areas, it, it almost feels a bit sort of I don't know if fake's the right word, but just a little bit too much, you know, whereas at the East Cape it just always felt like people were real, you know. Um, so I really like that. So, so yeah, the East Cape was definitely one of my, my favorite parts of New Zealand. Yeah. When was it that you did your first trip there? Um, so the first trip was in early 2018, um, that January, February. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I think my trip was in 2021, this summer, so the start of that year. But, um, I guess I just want to put a bit of a disclaimer here and acknowledge that they have been really big floods and stuff in the East Cape and that if anyone is wanting to visit there, um, definitely head to the official websites and check to make sure that tracks are open, that it's safe to visit and stuff. Um, yeah, because the community has been pretty badly affected by, what was the name of that hurricane? Yeah, good question. I don't know. Hurricane yeah. Gabrielle? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. That's the one. Um, and I mean, they've, you know, they've just yeah. had the worst weather the last you know 12 months or so I mean there were a few major weather events yeah so such a good call out um and it is you know I think yeah it, it is parts of it are very remote um and there really is only that one road going around so um yeah I think a really good point you're making very important to sort of um, figure out what's going on and and whether visiting is a good idea or not um but if you do visit you know um I'd also say like that's probably a community um, that would really appreciate, you know, paying for the campground rather than freedom camping or having that extra meal at the pub and, and those sort of things. So, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Well, why don't you give us all the things to do in the East Cape for when, when people do go back and visit? Yeah, cool. So, um, I mean, if you sort of start in Gisborne and you just follow the coastline, um, there's a few, you know, really cool um base along the way like Tolaga Bay is quite well known because it has a massive wharf um going out um, and also a walk sort of up the hill and there's this I think it's called the beacon of light but don't quote me I could be wrong but there's um you know, this this like statue that like lights up at night um oh, that's cool. that's really cool um and there's a great campground there sort of right behind the dunes you know on, on the beach um 
So Tolaga Bay was great. And then um, Tokomaro Bay is another sort of bay just a bit further up, um, just a little settlement. Um, really great. I had great surf there. I don't know if that's normal or if I just got lucky, <laughs> but um, remember that. I do um, think that coast is supposed to have pretty good surf in, in general. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then further up, like the East Cape Lighthouse is a must do. And mm. um, and I think it's a, you know, it's a really great spot to go for sunrise because it is set to be the first place in the world to see the, the day begin and see the sunrise because yeah, it is the most it's pretty special. eastern. So I think that's sort of a must must do. Um, and I think the, um, the road out to the lighthouse is also a highlight for me. It was, I, I don't know what it was about that road, but it's just kind of like right on the coastline and you're just watching these waves over these rocks and it's just so traumatic. Um, and then on the other side of the road were these massive like fields going up into a couple of hills and they were just like, I don't know if they were wild horses or if they were um, sort of stock, but filled of horses and it was just like the scene that's sort of out of a fairy tale totally totally agree with you I have the same sort of impression that I had it's like you know yeah. the ocean yeah. and it's beautiful and then horses and um, yeah yeah so that that was really cool um and then um yeah the lighthouse um you know plan plenty of time it sounds like a short walk but the short walk involves I think it's about 800 steps um so you know it's a bit of a especially if you go up in the dark um I'd plan some extra time um yeah and then just keep sort of driving around um and there's heaps of like just base along the way to stop um oh sorry forgetting like one of the the highlights one of my highlights actually from my second trip to the East Cape um yeah to go up Mount Hikarangi um and they have those I haven't done that yeah you can walk up and you can do a tour up um, but there are those Maori cravings um, up there. And sorry, I'm like, oh, God, I wish I'd looked it up. But there's like a really beautiful story around it. And they did it for the um, the the millennia change, you know, 1990 to oh, 2000. Cool. Um, yeah. And it's like yeah. a really beautiful story. And um, and we did a tour up there. Um, my mom was visiting, so we were traveling together and, and we did the tour up there. And it was just really like the storytelling from the guide was so amazing and just experiencing those those carvings and um and the story and the the beautiful views um over the east cape so that definitely a total mm. highlight um i've heard that that's a pretty popular spot for new years yeah um, because not only will you be the first of the day to see the sunlight but you're yeah. sort of the first yeah. first people that year to watch the sunrise which would be pretty epic yeah yeah that would be awesome um yeah, and then I just sort of kept driving, you know, around the, the East Cape, just keep following the mm. coast, um, and then eventually you get to Apodaki, um, mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah, no, I love that. It's it's one of my favorite regions as well, and I think for similar reasons that you said, it just feels so untouched. Um, the trip that we went, it was with a bunch of mates, so we were in our van, they were in theirs, and we were just kind of like, who knows like none of us have been here none of us have heard much about the east cape let's just go let's just drive and see see what happens um i think Rere rock slide just outside gisborne was a massive highlight for us um did you stop there as well i don't know to be honest it doesn't ring a bell right away it's like this massive natural rock that's sort of i'm using my hands to show actions which our listeners can't see but um it's sort of on <laughs> 45 degrees i i guess um and it's ah. just like a 
a waterfall, but like with a massive pool at the bottom and people take boogie boards or like air mattresses or inner tubes of tires and you just slide down and it was the best afternoon. I only did like one run because it was pretty terrifying. I'm not going to lie, but um, the boys loved it and just were going like over and over again. Um, definitely check it out right. if you're near Gisborne. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. See, now I have to go back to the East Cape and you know, experience it again. And that's what I well, mean. It's like thing, always more. It? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the other spot that was a highlight for us on our trip, I can't remember the name of the store. But somewhere near Oportuki, one of your next towns, if you're going sort of that direction around, um, there's this sort of general store and they serve the biggest ice creams. Um, And like I'd read the reviews on Google and I was like, guys, we've got to stop here. It's the biggest ice creams. We were all really stupid and got like double scoops in, in like we're like, it won't be that big. They were massive. Like the double scoops were literally like half a tub of ice cream. <laughs> and all of us were there oh with God. like heaps <laughs> of ice cream. Anyway, great place. And it was super cheap as well. It was like, I don't yeah. know, $6 for like half oh, a tub wow. of ice cream, basically. Um, yeah, it was definitely another <laughs> highlight for our trip. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, well, what's the freedom camping like in East Cape? Or did you stay in campsites? Tell me about that side of things. How did that work for you and your trips? Yeah, um, so it's been a few years since I've been. So definitely, um, you know, fact check this if, mm. if anyone's planning to go. But at the time, they had this really great system where you would buy a um, like a camping permit. And it, was, it yeah. ended up being like $3 a night. So it was really affordable. But you would buy this um, permit from the district council um, or the regional council. And then you would, um, with that permit, you're allowed to park in like several sort of spots along the way. So it was sort of freedom camping, but not completely free. Mm. Um, but you got, you know, you got a rubbish bag and then there were rubbish um, drop off points. Um, and you just like, I'm more than happy to pay, you know, $3 a night if that means yeah, like the absolutely. spots are looked after. Um, so that was really great. And, and I really, you know, um, appreciate that and use that a lot. Um, and then just stayed at, um, at Tolaga Bay, I stayed at the campground, um, and further up at the sort of Northern tip of the, um, East Cape, I stayed at a campground there somewhere. I've forgotten what it was called, um, now, but at the time, and again, this could have changed since, but at the time there were no public dump station, or fresh water points around the East Cape. So if you were like me and, you know, the first trip I was there for almost four weeks. Um, so you kind of, you know, had to stay at campgrounds um, in between yeah. just to, you know, fill up yeah. water tanks and, and do all that stuff. And um, and I find, you know, especially in those remote spots, like campgrounds are like great places to meet the locals. You know, they're always like the campground yeah, owners are always absolutely. happy to have a bit of a chat yeah. and tell you a few things about area and give you a few tips so I always like to you know spend a, a few nights at those as well I'm pretty sure when we did our trip in 2021 it was a similar system with that um sort of camping pass sort of thing that you can you can buy um and I'm pretty sure that you didn't have to be self-contained to get this which was quite interesting compared to other councils so that there were people car camping and stuff which is awesome like as long as you've got the little permit um it sort of opens it up to a lot more people which I think is really awesome 
totally. I think it gets it's super popular with the locals in summer. Like when you sort of at the right at the height of summer, um, I've heard that you know some of those um, those campgrounds like the locals buy the permits and then they go and they're like set up their sort of tent city for like Christmas and New Year's and maybe some of the long weekends and um, and so really kind of you know comes alive and is um, yeah really popular apparently with the with the locals and they would just be most of them are intense so they wouldn't be you know sort of quite self-contained so it's great that you know it caters for those those people for sure yeah well that's really cool um going back to your sort of four years on the road I guess um what were some of the biggest challenges for you I know you mentioned that vans break down um which I'm sure posed a challenge a couple of times but um yeah, I guess what were those biggest struggles? Did you ever regret being on the road? Were you ever like, what have I done? Why am I here? Yeah. Um, so the um there were like lots of like, you know, ups and downs and and little challenges. Um I did um so I actually lost my first van to Rust. Um so that was a major oh, no. setback and it's kinda of a long story, but there was a, you know, the um there was insurance from a garage who'd done a warrant of fitness and, you know, shouldn't have done a warrant of fitness, got involved. And so it was a really long process. It was like two, three months where I didn't know what would happen and the van wasn't road legal anymore. And so I was house sitting and I was waiting for, you know, answers and just that uncertainty and not like having my home. And and that that was really hard. Um, but funnily enough, it kind of you know, that experience. So that was about a year and a half, like 18 months into um, my my van life journey. And um, interestingly enough, it just made me more determined to keep going. So even though it was like really challenging at the time, I was like the whole way through, I was totally convinced that as soon as I could afford it, I was going to buy a van again and start traveling again. So it didn't deter me at all. Um, and, um, and the other thing, like, look, um, Given the the time I was on the road, um, COVID was really tough at times. Um, actually, the first lockdown was, you know, I yeah, um, quite enjoyed it. I ended up in Christchurch on a campground there, um, near the beach in the estuary, and met some, you know, really nice people. Um, and so that wasn't so hard. Like I was fine with that. Um, but then, unfortunately, I had to be in Auckland for that second long lockdown. Yeah, is that the one when Auckland was locked down and everyone else was sort of free to do yeah. what they wanted? Yeah, 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 pretty much, and like locked down for like three months, and so I ended up being parked in a in a paddock in Pukekohe, like South Auckland, and like lovely, lovely people. Like I was really lucky that you know the people kind of took me in, but still, it's like three months, you know, stuck in in like a grass field and in, in, in Pukekohe. Um, I had a really hard time. Yeah, it was really, um, I thought about, you know, just making a run for it a few times. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So. But look, on the whole, like the the good stuff far outweighs the challenges. Absolutely. You know, it's like, yeah. without a doubt, the best decision I've ever made in the best time of my life. And um, I'm pretty sure I'll still, you know, um look back at that and I'm actually right now thinking oh, I want to get a, a van or maybe a caravan again because I really miss oh, it yeah um so yeah so such an amazing experience yeah well Lisa you're also an author why don't you tell us a little bit about your book as well 
Yeah, happy to. So um, I'm writing is kind of second nature for me. So I've always um, written um, and I've um, written a couple of books. And the most recent one um, is called Life Done Differently. And it kind of tells that story um, that started, you know, almost yeah, six years ago now with sort of wondering what do you do with your life if you don't want to get married, have kids, focus on your career um, and just, yeah, follows my journey, then buying the van and starting traveling and, and you know, all the ups and downs and, and realizations. And just really, you know, the, a lot of it is kind of how it's changed my perspective on our priorities in life and, and how I want to, you know, live my life and, and make the most out of it. Um, yeah. So the book's called Life Done Differently. That's awesome. I'll, I'll make sure it's linked in the description so that people can check it out. But um, what are some of those lessons I suppose that you've learned doing life differently um being child free by choice and yeah not working a standard nine to five yeah lots of things so I think the honestly the biggest one I already mentioned earlier is sort of this the realization that um how little I need to be happy and to live a really good life um and the you know the the consequence of that and what that means in terms of how I I can structure my life and not having to work as much and having more time, um, just to you know to live my best life. Um, the other big thing for me is to um to live with intent rather than out of habit. So to be you know try to be really um present and really like make conscious decisions and it doesn't always need to like it doesn't need to be anything different or unique like sometimes you know doing what everyone else is doing is the right thing to do and is the best decision but it's sort of I want to make sure that I make those decisions consciously and with intent rather than just kind of being on autopilot um yeah absolutely yeah. not just going along with the flow because yeah. that's what everyone else is doing yeah 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 exactly and then like so many little things like you know about regrets like the the you know obviously with some of the choices I've made you know one question I've been asked quite a lot over the years is don't you worry you'll regret it you know regret um not getting ahead in your career or regret not having children and um and and just you know really um I think the experiences I've had have just sort of made me realize that in a way, like regrets is a choice, you know, you just gotta. Mm, that's a really interesting perspective. Yeah. 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 Cause I think like I, the way I want to live is like, I want to make the best decisions at the time based on what I know and what feels right. And then just make the most out of whatever happens because no matter what happens, like regrets sort of just feels like a, a bit of a waste of energy because you can't change it anymore anyway. And you don't know what would have happened if you'd made other choices, you know, life could be even harder. Um, so that was, a, you know, another one. And yeah, so, so honestly, so many, and I've met so many amazing people that have taught me, you know, different things and um, yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm really loving this conversation right now because I've made some big choices literally in this last week, um, which I haven't told the rest of the world yet, but um, I'll tell you off air. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, no, that's awesome. Before we wrap up, Lisa, do you have any sort of tips or advice for people that maybe want to look at full-time house sitting, want to look at full-time van life, or just want to live life a little bit differently? Um, yeah, do you have any advice? Yeah, I think the, the best advice I can give anyone is do what I did kind of by accident, which is start small, you know, make it 
um, make it something that is like less scary and seems more achievable by like saying, you know, I'm just going to do this for a month or for a summer or, you know, I'm just going to like try this out. And I think it really sort of helps yourself and other people um, to kind of ease into it. Um, so that's, you know, one thing that's worked really well for me. Um, and then other than that, I'd honestly just say like, you know, go do it and like back yourself and trust, you know, yourself. Like at the end of the day, only we know what will make us happy and, and different things make different people happy. Like the happiest, perfect life for people around you is not that for you. And so I'd say, you know, just really back yourself and trust your own instincts. And I guess that's why other people might struggle to understand your decisions because your decisions might not be their happiest decisions, you know, but that's such a good point that happiness looks different to everybody and you've just got to chase what makes you happy and not what makes other people happy. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think the other thing you find, and it's definitely been the case for me, like if you do like follow your own path and you put yourself out there, you meet other like-minded people and all of a sudden you don't feel that weird and that, you know, odd one out anymore because turns out there are all these other people who, you know, have similar values and beliefs and priorities, but you don't know that until you put yourself out there um, and engage and meet those people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Um, everything about living a different lifestyle, everything about the East Cape. Um, where can people find you on socials, Lisa, if they want to follow along on your adventures and check out your book as well? Awesome. Yeah, um, really enjoyed this um, too. And I feel like we could keep going on and on. And... No, we could go on for <laughs> ages. <laughs> yeah. And so my website is lifedonedifferently.com. Um, and on Instagram and Facebook, I'm Life Done Differently NZ for New Zealand because for some reason someone else awesome. already had Life Done Differently. <laughs> so I had to add the NZ. <laughs> uh, we've all got something added to our usernames, don't we? I've yeah, got an extra yeah. N in Hannah that nobody ever notices unless they're trying to type it out. It's really funny. <laughs> Um, awesome well thank you so much Lisa for your time this evening thank you so much for all of those amazing insights and I really hope that it inspires someone to take that next small step towards doing things their own way um, and yeah I'll make sure everything's linked in the description so it's easy to find them thank you awesome thank you so much and thank you for doing this I think it's so important to tell these stories and you know you're playing such a big part inspiring people so thank you so much for doing that one of my favorite things about this podcast, hands down, is just hearing the different way that people approach life, hearing the different upbringings, the different childhoods, the different ways people travel, um, because the human experience is just so unique and so special. And I, I just think it's awesome to hear those stories. So I hope you've been inspired by Lisa's episode. I hope you've been inspired by the way that she does life differently. And don't worry, I'll be dropping that big news shortly. Um, make sure you've got post notifications turned on so that you never miss an episode and that you're the first to know when something exciting happens and when something drops. I also make sure that my email list has all the details first. So if you're not signed up to my mailing list, head to the description and do that as well. Thank you so much for tuning in and coming along for the ride. If you love the show and enjoyed listening, please take the time to leave a review on Apple or Spotify. I would also love to connect with you, so send me a DM on Instagram or leave me a voice message, and I can't wait to see you next time. Until then, keep adventuring. <laughs>